I'd like to also say how wonderful it is to be with you this evening and for this meeting. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I have a lot of friends down here, even though I've never been here before. I have a lot of friends in this area, and, and I thank God for each and every one of you. I've certainly enjoyed the message thus far, and I would ask an interest in your prayers this evening as I try to stand before you for a little while. I'd like to draw your attention to the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, I begin in verse 7 and read to verse 10. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship. Why did we meet tonight? I fell down to worship. Before the feet of the angel which shewed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Amen. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. When the Bible speaks of something being at hand, it's within grasp. When Daniel was told to shut up and seal the book until the time of the end, he wasn't told to shut up and seal the book until the end of time. He was told to shut it up and seal it until the time of the end. John is told here, to loose the tongue that Daniel couldn't tell about. He's told to he's told to seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. There's three important there's, there's there's weeks of preaching just in these verses right here. But for brevity's sake tonight, I'd like to focus on a journey. If we could all go on a little journey, I'd like to draw your attention to the portion of the scripture that says, and I, John, saw. I'd like for you to go back some close to 2,000 years, take your shoes off and put your feet in the sandals of a fisherman, 
and go on a journey with the Apostle John. John would be mending nets with his brother James and his dad. And he looked up one day. He saw Peter and Andrew walking along the shore. And as they're walking along the shore, there's someone with Peter and Andrew. And this person that is with Peter and Andrew looks at James and John and says, follow me. And James and John just dropped what they were doing. They left dad on the boat and took off and followed Jesus. I'm sure they wondered what they were doing. I'm sure they had doubts and fears. Just They were human just like the rest of us. I'm sure they had issues. I'm sure they did. I mean, after all, they were human. But they just followed him. Can you imagine being at a wedding and running out of wine and seeing this man that you're following tell some servants to take these empty water pots here and fill them up with water? And then you're the only ones that know that water went in there and the servants know that water went in there, but whenever they draw the wine out, how amazing must that have been? What would it have been like to have walked with this man and walked up to the pool of Bethesda, a pool that has five porches, a, a pool where that the halt and the maim and the lame and the all manner of sickness. And they're there and they're waiting for the Spirit of God to come and stir the waters and whoever would be the first one in would be healed of whatever disease he had. And this man that you're following walks up to one. Just one. He's been there for 38 years. He has no one to help. His family's all left him. I've been here for 38 years. And the Lord says, would you be made whole? This man that John followed says, would you be made whole? And he said, well, I would love to, but I have no one to help. There's no one around. I'm here all alone. Oh, there's other people around me. But every time the Spirit comes and moves the waters, I never get there first. And this man just spoke to him and said, Rise and take up your bed and walk. I saw these things, John says. I saw it. I'm an eyewitness to these miracles. He was preaching one day and there was such a vast multitude and 
there was no way we could feed everybody. But there was somebody there brought a sack lunch and had a few loaves and a couple of fishes. And, and this man, this man, this man took those few loaves and fishes. And over 5,000 people were fed. And not only were they fed, but we picked up 12 basketfuls. There's something special about this man. There's something really special about this man. I saw this man. I saw him. We were walking along one day and there was a throng of people and we were on our way to heal someone. And he just stopped right in the middle and people were all around him and he said, someone has touched me. And Peter said, really? <laughs> There's people everywhere. And you say, someone has touched me? He said, yes. But I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And this woman realizing that she has been found out. Bows down at his feet, begging for mercy. And he said, oh, your faith has made you whole. I saw it. And then we get to this man's house and... Oh, she's, you're too late. She's dead. He says, nah, Peter, you and James and John, y'all come on, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. He walked in. They laughed him to scorn. And he just brought her back out alive. He stopped a funeral procession with a widow and her only son is in a casket and he stops the funeral procession and touches the casket and delivers the son back to the widow. Amen. I saw it. I'm an eyewitness. I saw, John says, I saw these things. I saw him walk up to a tomb where a man had been let dead for four days. Behold, he stinketh. Don't, don't open that tomb. He stinks by now. And I heard him cry with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I saw. A man bound in grave clothes just float right out of a tomb and stand up right in front of us. And I heard him say, loose him and let him go. I saw these things, John says. I saw the compassion that he had with the little children, these little ones. All the disciples, we, we, we said, Lord, we don't have time for this. He said, I'll suffer the little ones to come unto me. And he tells us, except we become 
like one of these little ones, we can't even see the kingdom. Something strange, something special about this man. He's told us over and over and over that he's going away, and we just didn't get it. It went right over our heads. He just told us he's going away. He said, but I'll not leave you alone. If I go away, I'm going to send a comforter to you. Another comforter, he says. I like that another that he added there, which meant he was a comforter. That's right. That's where we're going to get to here in a minute, if the Lord will bless us. Amen. John says, I saw these things. I saw them come. I saw some people that hated him. They hated him. They hated the ground he walked on. They hated everything he did because he was turning their world upside down. Yeah. They came to arrest him. They said, he said, who do you, who do you seek? Who's, whom seek ye? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And Al just fell over backwards. Another time, John says, another time I saw them. They sent out a bunch of people, a bunch of officers to arrest him. And they came back empty-handed. They said, well, why didn't you bring him? He said, never man spake like this man spake. There's something strange. There's something special here. There's something different here, John says. I saw him arrest him. I saw him beat him I saw the people stand around and shout and I heard their shouts and their cries crucify him crucify him crucify him and I heard Pilate say I found nothing no re- there's no reason to crucify him there's no guilt here what's the problem Give us Barabbas and crucify him. I saw the furrows plowed in his back from the cat of nine tails. I saw the blood from the thorny crown they had placed upon his head. I saw him on a cross and I heard him Look at me and look at his mother at the foot of the cross. And I, I saw and I heard him say, Woman, behold thy son. And I heard him tell me to take Mary to my own house. I saw it. I saw him take him down off of the cross. I saw him place him in a tomb that never a man had laid in before. And then, three days later, much to our surprise, we're expecting soldiers to take us away. We're expecting swords and torches And all kinds of problems, just like Jesus faced, we were expecting it. 
and it was Mary at the door, and she said, they've taken him. He's not there. And Peter and I ran, and we got to the tomb, and sure enough, he wasn't there, but the grave clothes were there. We went back to the house, and we're there all together, and we're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's him. It's him. He's real. And the things that he had told them before, I'm going away, but in three days I'll be back. Uh, they're going to take me. They're going to crucify me, but in three days I'm going to rise again. And, and things begin to click. The wheels begin to turn. And all through the early part of the book of Acts, we find where, where not, only did, not only did they see him then, but for 40 days he proved himself to, the, uh, to these apostles. And then they literally watched him go up into the clouds. Just ascend and disappear into heaven. John says, I saw it. And Peter and I and James and, and the other apostles, we preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We preached everywhere anyone would listen to us. All throughout Jerusalem, we preached and we preached and we preached. Peter went to Cornelius' house. A man named Saul of Tarsus is, is on the scene now. He's, he, he's been transformed, you know. He's been given divine life, and he's a powerful preacher. And, and things are going really bad because now I'm... On Patmos, I'm an old man, and I've been cast onto a prison island. It's kind of a rock quarry if you study history. More than likely, John's living in a cave, probably doesn't have a lot to eat. And he's there not because he's a murderer, not because he's a drunk driver or was texting and driving or anything like that. He's not there because he's a thief. He's there because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I saw something. He said, the first thing, though, I heard the voice as of a trumpet. I heard this voice, and the voice sounded so familiar, but it was a different kind of voice. It was a commanding voice. It was the voice as of a trumpet, he says, and, and in, in chapter 1 and, and verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, what thou seest, and I, John, saw, he says, and what thou seest, write in a book. 
and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. You know, Psalm 125 said, Lord, as, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forevermore. The Lord's not only round about his people, embracing them with his outstretched arms, my friends, he's in the very midst as well. He's in the very midst as well. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the vo sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. I want you to notice he has in his right hand seven stars. This is what John sees now. This is what John is supposed to write to these seven churches. This is what he's supposed to tell them. What God's ministers today are to continue to tell God's people. That the seven stars are in the hand of the one that's walking in the midst of the candlesticks. And out of his mouth... When a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Very important point to remember. This day and time, it's a very important point to remember. Our God, our Savior, is alive and he's alive forevermore. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is is dead. All the other religions in the world, their Savior is dead. Our Savior is alive, my friends. He's alive. And he says, he says, fear not, I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Anytime you see in the Bible where the key is mentioned, I have the authority. Brother David obviously has a key to every door in this building except one. <laughs> he has the authority to come in and out as he pleases. It's okay, Brother David. I've got the key to New Hope Church and the Fellowship Hall and everything else, but there's one door I don't have a key to, okay? <clears throat> They just changed the lock and they hadn't made copies yet. <clears throat> he says, write 
the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. He's supposed to write about this mystery. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. John, you write. I've got a little church down there at Laodicea. They're puffed up. They're increased with much goods. They don't think they need me anymore. You write to that church and you tell that church that I hold the keys. You write to them and you tell them that I'm the one that has the authority. You write to them and tell them that I'm alive forevermore and that I'm walking in the midst of the candlesticks. I know exactly everything that's going on. You write them and tell them. You tell the church at Ephesus, the ones that they have left their first love. You tell them, you remind them who their first love is. You go back and you do the first works. You tell them to go back to the first works. You remember, do you remember all, all of you folks out here who are happily married? I've been happily married for going on 45 years. I'm not old, I just started young. <clears throat> been happily married for almost 45 years. You know how I'm still happily married? We hadn't stopped dating. I tell people whenever I'm counseling with them, Whenever I'm counseling with people who are about to get married, do not forget, young man, if you're any of you here about to get married, young man, do not forget to continue to court your bride. Don't forget. Ephesus forgot. They left their first love. He said, you write to them and you tell them. There's another church down there named Smyrna. They're struggling. They're under intense persecution. There's problems on every hand. There, there, there are all kinds of issues with them. They're, they're in trials and tribulations on every hand. And, and they're afraid and they're scared. And there are problems on, everywhere that you look. There's problems for them. You write and tell them I'm alive. You see, the message that John was to tell these churches is to tell them, that their Savior is alive. See, that's the message. It's a Christ-centered message, Brother David. It's a message of hope. It's a message that if Christ is alive, there's hope for me to stay alive. You know, there's a message that says that no matter what this world may do to me, Jesus is still seated on his throne. It's a message that says, my friends, that no matter what this world, which is no friend to God's people, no matter what this world may do to you, God is still in control. He's still in control. John says, okay, so I'll write the letters. I'll write the letters to the churches, and I'll deliver the letter to the churches. But I'm just going to die here, I'm sure. About middle ways through this book, I think it's about the end of chapter 10, chapter 11, somewhere along in there. Well, let's go get it and find out, make sure. There ain't no sense in messing this up, is it, Brother Ronnie? The end of chapter 10. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again. 
Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. What does that say to John? John, you're going to get off that island and you're going to get to go preach to God's people and you're going to get to go tell God's people one more time that Jesus is alive. You see, the whole purpose of me coming down here was not to tell you anything that you didn't already know, but just to bring to remembrance, my friends, the simple fact of the matter is this, that your Savior is alive. And he's walking among the candlesticks. He holds the stars, the stars of the angels, the stars of the messenger. Let me tell you something. He holds your pastor in his right hand. Amen. He's protecting him. You need to pray for him. He wants your prayers. And as Brother Sonny Powell says, he needs the prayers and you need to practice. <clears throat> he says, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I'd heard them and seen, when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship, and I'm out of time, so I'm going to have to close these remarks. But is not the message that John saw and was commanded to give to the churches of Asia, the seven churches of Asia, is not that message the same message that we have tonight? Is not that message a message of hope? It's a message that no matter how bad, like Brother Ronnie preached, no matter how bad you mess up your life, you still got one who can heal all of your problems. Amen. It doesn't matter how bad the situation gets. You know, <clears throat> um, It hadn't been long ago that I preached the funeral of my very best friend. He was a good friend of Brother Ronnie's. There's more here. And I told Brother Ronnie back there in the lunchroom a while ago, that's the hardest thing I've had to do in over 20 years. But you know what comfort I find from that? All the pain and all the struggles and all the suffering that he went through. He now knows in perfect knowledge that Jesus is alive. Amen. That's right. He knows with a perfect knowledge that Jesus is alive. And so the message that John was to deliver to the churches of Asia and the message of Brother David and Brother Ronnie and, and Brother Michael and myself and, 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 uh, uh, and Brother Silas and, and the other preachers that are here, the message that we are to deliver to God's people is that whenever the trials and the tribulations of this life start bothering you and they start getting you down, you remember the fact that he's alive and he's alive forevermore. My friends, it doesn't matter what the situation may be. Yo, I get a phone call. The doctor's report didn't come in good. Oh, that's fine. But Jesus is alive. You know, it doesn't matter what the, uh, what the court says about a lawsuit that's going on. Jesus is alive. It doesn't matter what's happening in Washington, D.C. It doesn't matter what happened in Tallahassee, Florida or in Nashville, Tennessee. Because Jesus is alive, you see. You see, that's the focus. You see, that's the focus. And if we can keep our minds and our thoughts focused on that fact. That we serve a risen Savior. And he's not only in heaven today. 
seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's a, he's a multifaceted savior. He's walking amongst the candlesticks. May God bless you and keep you. Come here, brother. Turn to hymn number 95. I think it's, uh, that's victory in Jesus, isn't it? Hymn number 95. 